How much do addiction treatment centers vary in terms of the structure and discipline they provide teens? What are some weaknesses of these institutions in terms of onboarding and releasing teenagers from their programs and creating a community for the parents and other caregivers? Social networks like Facebook are helpful for building support groups. Are there places where they come short when it comes to fostering conversation and connection for caregivers of teenagers with substance abuse issues? What is the MOTH platform? Why is it called this? And what value can it provide parents of teenagers struggling with depression and addiction? Stay tuned as we touch on these and many other topics on this week's episode of Untether Your Life. Welcome to Untether Your Life, a show that empowers you to own your own health and break free of templates for managing physical and mental wellness and looks at key issues impacting the South Asian diaspora. I am your host, Nikhil Torsakar, and I am passionate about the power of conversation to catalyze change. This week, we speak with Mike and Teresa Florence, a couple based near Dallas, Texas. Mike and Teresa faced great challenges when their teenage son began struggling with addiction and depression. These were exacerbated by the complex and unwieldy process of navigating addiction treatment centers. They found the power of conversation and connection to be extremely therapeutic in getting through this harrowing journey. Seeing that there were no apps that catered to this need for community connection for caregivers, they developed an app called Moth, whose tagline is Find Your Light. And with that, let's get untethered. So Mike, Teresa, really glad to have you on. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's great to see you again. It was very serendipitous when I saw your post that the timing was perfect. Yeah, the universe works in mysterious ways, as they say. Can you guys just go ahead and introduce yourselves? Yeah, happy to. (laughs) So again, Mike Florence, and it's a pleasure to be on the show, Nikhil. By way of background, I have spent about 25 years in the financial services industry across institutions, both from a consulting standpoint and an industry, spending most of that in financial crimes, BSA, AML analytics. And then obviously a number of different pet projects on the side and looking forward to kind of getting and unpacking that and telling you about that. Oh, and then while he was doing all of that for getting <laughs> our marriage, I worked as well. I was uh, preschool, daycare. And then after he started hitting the road, hardcore was when we decided that I needed to stay home having four children. It yeah. was a little difficult to get up, to get to work and get everybody sure. to where they needed to get to alone. So I've been at home with the kids. She had the hard job. I had the easy one. Yeah. Yeah. I tell you with consulting, just the lifestyle, I mean, that really is what caused a lot of issues in our marriage, you know, with me being on the road constantly. And we didn't have four, we have three, but we actually had a newborn when I was at, you know, the company that you and I worked at. Like, so yeah, I definitely can appreciate the challenges that that poses. So I definitely applaud you guys for making things work. It's not an easy task for sure. It's not. I took a look at the website about Moth and was just really fascinated by what you guys are looking to do and all the challenges you guys have surmounted, you know, with your family, with your son. Can you guys talk a little bit more just in a nutshell of what unfolded and what inspired you to go on this quest to develop uh, Moth? Yes, that's a long answer. And I know yeah. there's other questions down the road, but by way of background, I had some mental health issues in my family on my side most notably bipolar, as you called out with a grandfather and addiction issues as well. And, you know, back then it was something no one talked about. And that's one of the things that Teresa and I continuously say is that that it's not the right approach, right? You need to address it head on. And it's remarkable what you discover when you do have those very Mm -hmm. open 
lot of conversations. But so like I said, I've been around it my whole life. And then with our son, most notably, from a very early age, we started to see signs of just withdrawal, quiet, depression, perhaps. It's remarkable to see the journey that we've all taken through our son's struggle. And like I said, so it started at a very early age and it was something that we immediately addressed. And, you know, I'm very thankful for that because each person has to do its best for them, but wishing it will go away and hoping it will go away will not make it go away. He was in second grade when we started doing therapy. He had mm -hmm. uh, therapy sessions. He actually really enjoyed it. And so- Oh, that's good. Yes. Mm -hmm. And he's always actually been very good about therapy and he enjoys talking with others when he's sitting down one-on-one. -on -one. I think sometimes it gives him a chance to talk freely without his parents giving a parent side of how he sure. should handle stuff. I really think that mental health needs to be an ongoing process. It shouldn't be a reactive scenario where it's like Tommy's getting in trouble and he's going to the principal's office and then he's got to go see a therapist. Because personally, that was my journey because I was that kid who never paid attention in class. I was always getting in trouble. And then that was when they would send me to see a therapist. What was you know, your journey or your introduction to therapy for your son? Was it something that you guys proactively sought out or was it something that maybe your teachers were noticing? We sought that out. We lived in a neighborhood where like kids would run around and everybody was having a good time and he had a tendency mm -hmm. to stay in. Or if the crowd, yeah. He was good when it was a small crowd, but the minute three, four kids were involved, he would step back and didn't want to have a part of the big group. And then at times he would overthink things. I would tell him that he needed to go outside and play and he'd say, oh, if I do that, you're going to put sunscreen on me and then I'm going to get hot and sweaty and then I'm going to, and then I'm going to have to take a bath tonight and I don't want to have to take a bath. And he always had some excuse of why he didn't want to do something. And it sure. just got a little worse and he stayed with himself a little bit more. And then he would tell us he doesn't sleep at night and that mm. he thought he needed to go see a sleep specialist because he couldn't sleep at night. And so when I was at the doctor's office with him. These are some things that he's been saying. These are some of the issues that he's been having. Right. <laughs> when did you guys get the official diagnosis of depression for your son? Oh, goodness. I mean, I don't know that it was an official diagnosis when he was younger mm -hmm. and things kind of ebbed and flowed. I mean, we could go a year or two years and things were okay. Then it would slow mm -hmm. down. It didn't start to really accelerate until high school. Okay. So when he was younger, that's when we first started diagnosing it. But then there was years where he didn't go to therapy and things were okay. And it's like, all right, maybe that's in the rear view, but it was always just below the surface. Right. But yeah, like I said, it, high school is when things started to take a turn for the worst. But we've also noticed he also seems slightly seasonal. He mm, has, of course. Yeah, yeah. we kind of started realizing that when we're like, oh, he always seems to be around this time of year when things start to fall apart or he has all these great intentions and then all of a sudden things just kind of right. come undone. Okay. I mean, his diagnosis though is depression though, right? It's, it's not clinical, clinical, clinical depression. Clinical depression. Mm -hmm. clinical depression, I think was around 15 was when he was diagnosed with clinical depression. Okay. And like, so you mentioned high school and then you mentioned there was a seasonal aspect. Was there any other like precipitating event in terms of challenges at school or maybe there was some bullying or something like that, that might have contributed to the onset of clinical depression? No, I don't think so. I mean, again, obviously transitioning into high school is difficult for anyone. You know, what we saw obviously in the later years towards, you know, the end of junior high and high school was more drug use. Mm -hmm. So we hadn't encountered that before. And that, you know, certainly doesn't help anyone. 
let alone somebody that's wrestling with any type of mental health issue. That became more and more and more pronounced as well. And that's when I talk about the acceleration. I think right. it was, you know, towards what the first freshman year in the fall is you would just see a month over month deterioration withdrawn stay sure all kids stay in their rooms but you know for prolonged periods of time um, would come to dinner and have nothing to say it became very awkward you, you talk about the impact of the family you know we were seeing all our children withdraw family dinners dissolves into this let's all eat as fast as we can and be done get back to our day really but now he had been diagnosed with adhd and mm -hmm. the doctor's time when he was diagnosed in second grade with ADHD and they said, you know, let's not give him medications because they kind of were on the fence if it was fully ADHD because, again, he had a tendency to say, I'm done, I'm bored. Yeah. So the fact that he knew it and he could call it out, they weren't sure, you know, usually kids don't call that out. But he, he got assistance with school, with classwork, and he had some really good teachers and he had some teachers that he kind of struggled with, but he never seemed to have issues with any kids or he never complained about having any issues with anyone it was never the aggression aggression uh, okay correct most easygoing nothing bothers him doesn't ask for anything doesn't want for anything just kind of quietly goes along so how did it manifest itself then i guess you were saying like obviously the withdrawn aspect was it also like academic performance where his grades were correct. declining quite a bit and then because it sounds like, you know, fortunately, it doesn't sound like he was very disruptive, but it was just more he was going inside a little bit too much, a little bit too withdrawn. That's correct. And like I said, it was always the fall would start and that's when it would begin. And then the springtime, you know, but usually would turn around, like I said, after freshman year, that was a particularly difficult year. And then, you know, in the spring, things got better. And then we saw round two come. And that's when ultimately we decided that, you know, we needed more support. Well, he himself told us that he sleeps in hopes that he didn't wake up. Oh, wow. Wow. So when you hear that, you know, you need additional support, yes. right? Yeah. Um, and again, the ongoing addiction got to a point that it was well beyond anything that we could control, that we could manage. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, we made the decision on January 5th. Gosh, what year was it? It's been maybe four years. Easily. Just so we don't jump too far ahead, but I want to understand sort of like what the evolution was. If you can take me through sort of the progression of that, where it was, did you notice he was sort of holding up in his room and then his behavior started changing? I want to understand sort of how the substance component entered into Absolutely. it. His grades first started to kind of slide. Mm -hmm. and we were getting a lot of emails from teachers saying, hey, this hasn't been handed in, that hasn't been handed in. And he just kind of really stopped talking with everybody at dinner. He stopped showing up around the house downstairs. He just stayed inside. And at times it's frustrating. And I'd go up there and I'd open his blinds and I'd tell him, you need to get out, you need to get out, you need to do something. Yeah. And he just was really, really lethargic and he just wasn't himself. Wasn't engaged, and, yeah. Yes, so. and that was, I think we both kind of knew in the back of our heads he was using something, right. but it was, we didn't know what, we didn't know for sure because we didn't see anything. He was hiding it very well, but you could see it in his demeanor and it got a little scary. And so one night we were up in his room talking with him and just so happened, I think we opened a drawer or something and found 
paraphernalia. Yes. And then it's confirmed. And then again, it was just a downward spiral from there. And the behavior that you have to exhibit to do that stealing, taking money, things would yeah. go missing. Hey, I can't find my favorite sweatshirt. Yeah. Wake up in the middle of the night. It's two in the morning and you're finding it from outside. Yes, there was mm-hmm. windows opened, doors unlocked. So, I mean, again, we knew something was going on. And right. it was just what and when and at night he was usually his time where he would go around the house or the kids would say, oh, I heard noises last night. I'm afraid to sleep in my room at night. And it's actually him going into their rooms and he would take mm-hmm. money. He would take clothes and resell wow. things. Mm-hmm. And That's rough. so. And how old was he at the time? 15. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, it got worse. And we put cameras around the house. And you know, at one point we had him sleeping on our bedroom floor. I was say, we weren't sleeping well, We weren't obviously. sleeping. Yeah, nobody was. Nobody was sleeping. Honestly, no one was. We all were you, was Mike, fun. were you traveling a lot at the time? Or? I was, okay. which makes it all that much harder, right? On Teresa, on me, because I'm not there. Yeah, it was tough. And so, like I said, it continued to spiral. And then there was, you know, suicidal ideation and it's that comment that ultimately drove kind of the first inpatient treatment so that took place over the course of a week and then there was six week iep and then other kind of counseling that was after that and that was the spring of freshman year Mm -hmm. and we came out the other side of that we came out stronger he came out stronger and as we said then things continue to improve you know were they perfect no or are we looking the other way no yeah. And it's interesting how I said it before, but how it impacts everybody. Right. And there's days where you feel guilty because it's like, I just don't want to deal with it today. I'm going to throw that away instead of like confront them about it. And then there's other days where you see it and you flip out. It's a struggle, right? It, we we're talking with a therapist and it's like, well, it's not all about him. Right? right. It's about us as well. And that's kind of, you know, the genesis of the app was kind of like, Hey, what about us? Yeah. What about yeah. the role of the caregiver? when you found out about the substance abuse and obviously the suicidal ideation can you take me through sort of what the intervention was at that point is it something where you tried to get like family involved or was it something that you wanted to try to keep underneath your roof when he had an episode where he just lost it and Mm -hmm. where he was screaming yelling talking about wanting to kill himself and having tried once before he said and he flipped out and we were kind of a little taken back a little shocked at a loss i'm sure yeah it's hard to process yeah and And, and obviously there was intervention before that which was us you know taking it away there would be times where he would approach us and say please take this like i don't want it anymore please take it but then it would come back it wasn't until that kind of outburst that, you know, our, our intervention was immediate. We took him to the hospital right away. Mm-hmm. And I think we were both a little taken back because we took him in more for the suicidal side of it. And when we were talking with the social worker at the hospital, she started talking about the drug use. Because she was hardcore, just mm-hmm. got right. No so she wasn't yeah, they don't play. Yeah, she wasn't soft about it at all. She was, yeah. we were kind of like still trying to figure everything out that was going on. We had left the house so quickly. And so here we were at the emergency room trying to figure out how we had gotten from the depression that right. seemed so quiet for so long to this yeah. full-blown 
Sounds Do like it kind of opened a Pandora's box, and then there were all these yeah. underlying issues that you had no idea about. It made everything worse. And he was saying that the drug use was because he didn't want to feel. He didn't like the medications because we kept trying to figure out what medications to get him on. And we, it takes a while to get to the right dose. And he just refused to take the medications and he would rather just not feel. And so doing drugs for him wiped him out so he didn't have to feel it. He preferred that. Like a numbing agent, it sounds right. He preferred that over feeling. Mm -hmm. which was, yeah, it was eye-opening. Yes. Because sometimes you think, oh, they're using drugs recreationally or whatever. And because we had friends that were like, oh, it's, you know, just this or it's just that. It's like, no, Try no, to no, downplay no. it, yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Oh, it's, oh, it's just, you know, marijuana or it's just alcohol. All kids do. And it's like, not by themselves. Right. Not to the point where they're completely out. To someone stealing. who wrestles with alcoholism, it's not, oh, it's just beer. Yes. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's always a personal thing. And then that's the larger issue is just what really drives me nuts and being a first generation immigrant that there was always that seeing stress as a boogeyman. Like my mom one time actually said to me, oh, stress didn't exist when I was growing up. And it's just that dismissive tone that can just be like pouring gasoline on a fire just because it's not only that you're going through this is that you're meant to feel guilty or you're a chicken little, like the sky's fall. Oh, my kid was smoking a joint. Well, no, I mean, it's like when the child has this context behind it, that can really tip the scales, which it sounds like in your case, it definitely did. Mixing medications, we're not going to get to where we need to get to, to make mm -hmm. you feel better if you're going to be doing that and not taking the other meds, or if you take them right. together, we're not going to get the right results we need. Yeah. Or as you know, sometimes these aren't meds that you just go on and off of as you yeah. see fit. Some of them, especially when you start looking at stronger medications, controlled medications, it's you have to take those. Like you can't yep. just stop here and there. So I want to understand sort of the progression. So that was when he was 15 about the suicidal ideation and then the substance abuse. Then was there a period where it was sort of steady state and then things seemed to be okay there was. and then he sort of slid back into that yes so you know steady state doesn't mean things are great but there was marked improvement it was directionally correct mm -hmm. into the spring right after that series of events and then but he was seeing a therapist mm -hmm. so that was good he started a job and he was working. So he's getting out of the house, moving around, which is always good. It was manageable. The yes. family dynamic improved, you know, the dinners and things were better. It was lighter. Yes. And then, you know, <laughs> it got dark again, right? So mm -hmm. the sophomore year around the same time in the fall, same decline, heavier drug use, you know, he's back in our room. And that's where the January 5th of that year, we're like, we can't do this. There wasn't any kind of ideation that was spoken about at that point, but that's when we did. We had started the process of, we had talked to the therapist saying, you know, he needs more. He needs- More aggressive he, therapy, more right. aggressive intervention. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Cause I mean, we were to the point where we were afraid that he was going to stop going to school because like classes and getting work done, he was turning nothing in at this mm. point now. And we were struggling because there was really nothing left. We were doing everything we possibly could do. And it right. just- wasn't enough and we couldn't watch him 24 hours at a time he was on we were giving him drug tests we were you know again cameras full-time job it sounds like just it and it was when we were starting to look into the process 
and we were having a really hard time finding, you know, here we live in this great big state and mm -hmm. live close to a great city. And yet there was nothing, there was nothing for teens with depression and drug use. And so yeah. you're talking was, about like addiction treatment centers then, or what were the nature and well, of course, and to Teresa's point, I mean, trying to navigate the mental health ecosystem is incredibly complex. Yeah. Um, and you don't realize just how broken it is until you have to navigate it. Yeah. So it was unfortunate. And, you know, as we were saying, I never thought we'd have to leave the state to find a treatment facility. But all of a sudden, when it's here's the age group we take, we have availability. It fits your insurance. And now all of a sudden, you know, it oh, was, by the way, it's not in your state. Yeah, it was yeah. 6 a.m. on a Tuesday. The flow chart is pretty windy. So it sounds like there were a couple different centers that you guys went to before finding the right one what were the issues with the first one or the second one and then what was the one that was just right for your situation sure so and that was a journey <laughs> unto itself literally physical and, and mental and I'm sure, right? highly yes and emotional yeah. so we had woke him up on the morning of his departure he was not aware that he was going anywhere nor was anyone in the family aware so unfortunately we had to tell everyone at once they said their goodbyes and yeah we flew into florida and it over the course of that travel he came to terms with it i think we came to terms with it it's important to know when you need something beyond yourself to help the situation right i think that's critical we sure. can't do this anymore so to make that decision is excruciatingly difficult but it's important so this was a, a treatment facility that was focused on teen boys in South Florida. It was a 45 day program. We'd already uh, gotten approval to go there. We checked the necessary boxes. We did our due diligence, called, talked to them, did all the research we could. And, you know, by all accounts, it seemed like a nice facility, but it wasn't the one he needed. And he would tell you the same thing. The facility itself, I think made Teresa and I feel better. There was therapy, there was education, but then there was deep sea fishing on the weekend, right? I mean, I don't mean to be dismissive, but it almost sounds like it was like a country club for, for I was going to use the word country club. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Maybe they did they coddle him a little bit too much or was did they apply the I don't, I don't level think it was that I don't think they controlled the environment the way that they should. Our son would say, you know, we're all sitting around playing video games, talking about how awesome this is. And when we go home, we're all going to just get high as a kite. Mm -hmm. And if you're really in there working on yourself, that's the last thing you need. So, like I said, that was a 45 day treatment facility on day 43. And we'd made the decision that he was going to come home after mm -hmm. the 45 days, things were going reasonably well. We'd been writing letters. You're not allowed to speak for the first couple of weeks. So we would write letters and then we would have a call and talk to the therapist. Did you say you're not allowed to speak to your son for the first, for the couple, first couple of weeks? Yep. That's wow. right. But you got to write letters, but yes, that was the way that it worked for the first couple of weeks. Um, I think it was about okay. a, yeah, a couple of weeks. I think first two weeks, mm -hmm. two, two weeks, I think it is. So yeah, fa fast forward to day 43. And unfortunately we received a call that he had been removed from the facility, that he had threatened harm to himself or to someone else, and that he was on a 72-hour hold in a hospital that was near the facility, and that he would not be allowed to return to that program. He was no longer, they cannot take them back. Oh, man. Uh, so okay. now- and This was on day 43. Did this, this just kind of come out of the blue then? Wow. Two days, two days Home stretch. Correct, so now what? 
that we were in the process of bringing him home and then this happened. So do you still bring him home? And we made the gut wrenching decision together to say, no, it's not time yet. And so a recommendation was made of another facility, this one being in Alabama and very much a wilderness program. You're in the middle yeah. of nowhere uh, and very structured. So when I talk about contrasting the conversations, you have to ask permission to speak. So I would wow. say, Nikhil, may I speak with Teresa? You'd say yes. And then you would proceed to watch our conversation. You're up at 5 a.m. You're doing manual labor. You're doing yoga. You're doing school. You're doing therapy. You're doing, you know. Yeah. It sounds very intense and very regimented. But, and you're part but of it sounds like, is that, I mean, how did that resonate with your son? Well, shockingly enough, I mean, he said he wished he had been there first. Oh, that wow. Was okay. He said he felt like he wasted his time were at the other place and that he wished that he had gone there first because that had more impact on him than the other place did. I think part of what made some of the journey a little bit easier is that he was open to going sure. to therapy. He was open to going to rehab. So he never really fought it. And so, yeah, it was a break for all of us, right? Going back to the family dynamic. I mean, sure. it's the hardest thing that we've ever done. And I don't wish it on anyone, but it's the best thing that we could do for all of us. Yeah. How long uh, was he in that second program? Second program went on for about three and a half months. So I need to graduate from them. I, I, we couldn't be more proud of them. I mean, they had a three-step program and you had to advance and it was very structured. And yeah. you could even see it because again, you write letters and you had to write a letter. But even through the tone of the letters, you know, day one was the darkest, worst day. And, you know, this is awful. And then slowly but surely they got better. They got brighter. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and he didn't have access to technology or anything like that when no, he was not, in the program. Not. You sleep in a tent, basically. It's almost like camping. Or too. They had physical work yeah. they had to do every day. They were at the that barn. Could be and very therapeutic. Yeah. And he actually really liked that. And it had military rigor to it. So if one man did something wrong, all men suffered yeah. the consequences, men and women. The army of one. Yeah. So what was the final outcome? So after three and a half months, then he came back. And then how, what were things like after he graduated from that program? No, no, no. So he graduated the program. We attended that ceremony. Couldn't be more proud. He was proud of himself. Went back into school. No. Well. Well, into a program. Well, it's just, we were terrified. You know, we can't just expect him to come home and just everything's going to be okay. Like, right. Done, fixed. Right. So we were terrified to send him back to school because we didn't want to set him up to fail. We didn't right. want him to have felt like he did. And we didn't want to see that happen either. So we were terrified. What do we do? do? You know, do we take him back to school? Do we go somewhere else? We... But then again, we're trying to figure it out. What can we do for an alternative when we come back from that? And the thing too is like when you were done with the program, they just hand you your kid back and they're like, all right. And it's like, do they have some kind of like offboarding guide or something like that? Or recommendations? No, and that's, or, or no, they just and kind that's, of like, here's your son. And right. Yeah. And that's what we struggled God with. Speed. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. And, and that's what we struggled with. And <laughs> luckily, through our school district, they have a school program. That is our district, but our district does not tell you it exists because mm, okay. they don't want you to know that. But they did therapy, they did community service hours, mm -hmm. they did the schooling. So it was kind of the same idea of what he was doing, but 
at home, but he was still getting mm. help and he was still doing the services and things like that. So it was a good transition back. Mm -hmm. It was, it was yeah. perfect. Yeah. yeah it was I don't want to like gloss over all this, but I do want to make sure that we talk about the app, the mod. Tell me about sort of how you go from this journey, you know, when it's a harrowing journey, obviously, where you're seeing your son through a very difficult time, not just for him, but for you also as the parents, as the caregivers. Tell us about how that informed the launch of this uh, platform called Moth. And why is it called Moth? I'd love to know the story behind that. Sure. So we'll begin with the genesis of it. So while our son was in the second program, in the wilderness program, upon his mm -hmm. graduation, they asked if we would be willing to serve as a reference right. for other families to talk to. And we said, sure, you know, we'll use our own words and we'll tell them the good and the bad. But yes, we're happy to do that. And, you know, I think we both left those conversations feeling like we took more than we gave. It yeah. was wildly therapeutic mm -hmm. to talk to somebody that's in the exact same spot. You know, friends, family are well-intentioned, but they don't get it. They say they do, they yeah. don't, and it's not their fault. Until right. you've gone through it, you don't know. It can uh, sometimes so be kind of an academic exercise. And then, yeah, I mean, sometimes there's those sort of template notes of positivity, like people have it worse than you, or, hey, at least you have your health, or all these things. This mm -hmm. is what I call toxic positivity, right? Yes. Where you have other people who are going through the same struggles, that community is going to be a lot richer because, you know, you speak each other's language and you Correct. know what the context is. So go on, yeah. you're saying. Right. No, no, no. That's exactly right. Teresa and I, we would leave calls and be like, wow, that couple is not on the same page <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> uh, it just felt lightning again yeah. to have those conversations. We're not alone, sure. you know, and that was really the genesis of it. It's like, okay, well, how do we have more of those conversations? And, you know, we had both subscribed to different social media feeds and there's groups out there and things like that. Right. A lot of them, frankly, are uninformed, I think, maybe well-intentioned, but, you know, it kind of dissolves into memes and other things. There's not much information. Yeah. It doesn't help inform decisions. What were some of the channels you went on? I mean, obviously we're all familiar with Facebook, but were there maybe if you can tell us about some of the other because i'm sure people who are listening have probably tried a lot of these as well but what were some of the resources yeah, no, we, we've about? googled everything we could right and it, mm -hmm. a lot of it really is more individual based for wh whomever is going through it and less about the caregiver it was you know a lot of times lumped in with people battling cancer caregivers for okay. cancer you know other types of things so as I said, that was really the genesis of, well, how do we find people? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the, the idea came to us as it's almost like a match.com, but instead mm -hmm. of a romantic relationship, you're trying to match individuals that are at the same point in their journey as a caregiver. Right. So, you know, trying to make the most personal connection, whether I'm a single mother or I'm a married couple, or is it your son or daughter? They've or this age, they've been wrestling with this dependency or addiction or mental health issue for this long. Perhaps there's been suicidal ideation or not. Are they in therapy starting? And you answer what you want, right? What you're comfortable right. with. And I think the thing that we like about the app as well is it's not associated. You know, you don't also have the opportunity to pin an article or you're not liking a friend's comment. It's completely yeah. 
separate and distinct from your social media profile. You can be whoever you yeah. want, but it's a place to make those connections. Right. Well, cause I think too, I think part of Moth, if you don't mind, I think part of it too, is that, you know, when we were trying to find therapy, when we were trying to find places to go and whatnot, or just mm -hmm. even like, what are we going to do when we're done with rehab? Where do we go? What do we do? We found more information when we talked with friends that had the same issues or a family member who was going through some of those. Mm. We found so much more there than we did on the internet. You find these websites and you go to them and then you call some of these places and they don't exist anymore or okay. they're not for your age group. And right. so we found that we really had a hard time. Like there's stuff out there, but it's not necessarily for what you need it for. So that was really hard to find it out there. But then when we talked to certain people, we had gotten references and those references that we got from actual people who had been going through things was really helpful. And the thing I would say too, is it's remarkable how many people are going through something, right? All you have to yeah. do is the conversation. I think I can count more often than not every time I would share what was going on, you know, with our family, with our son. Oh, my daughter, really. I have a call tomorrow with a gentleman that I haven't spoken with in ages. Son's going through the same thing. Wouldn't have known, but I started the dialogue and shared it with someone else. So, I mean, I think that open and honest communication is important because more often than not, you're going to realize, you know, you aren't alone, but the app just helps accelerate the connectivity. But it's hard yeah. to get that conversation with others because mm -hmm. people don't openly want it. to talk about that stuff. And right. so it takes one person being honest in a conversation or just a little something that said and it's and then it once you open the door, door and suddenly and they, just, they want to talk about it absolutely because yeah. you get it and it's like oh my gosh yeah we had two other neighbors that our kids grew up with that well this conversation right here is a perfect example of that because as we talked about earlier i mean i had no idea i know you and i had talked maybe five or six years ago but i had no idea what was going on in your world you know right. and then it was because i think i published some article or published an interview that we did with someone who started uh, Bipolar India. I think that was the one. And then, then, then that's what prompted you to, to reach out. So I completely get the power of community. And I think it's wonderful what you guys are doing to try to leverage that. Where are you at this point in terms of the app development? I mean, because obviously, I mean, I've seen the prototype. You guys have a beautiful site that I think you said one of our former colleagues had actually helped you put that together. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So yes, it's, yeah. it, it's, a, small, it's are... a small world. Kind of... In addition, <laughs> like, it's amazing how much you learn through this journey, right? I, I never yeah. thought I'd be trying to figure out like colors of a logo or how a web page yeah. works. So yeah. even the technology, but what do you call it? And so it, it kind of originated with the concept of listening. Who listens? What's a good listener? A microphone? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe it's an animal. Okay, well, cool. Now I'm looking at animals. Now I'm Googling what animal has the best hearing. The moth has the best hearing. It's like, yeah, it's kind of interesting. But then at the same time, we think depression, dark gray. Well, the moth doesn't exactly exude this idea. You know, the butterfly is the pretty one. Right. The reality is moths outnumber butterflies 10 to 1. They come in far more color varieties or, you know, moths are beautiful. And they also serve a lot of like good purposes. So then, you know, the idea kind of started to take flight, if you will. Pardon the pun. <laughs> the whole idea of a moth to a light, right? Find your light. Yep. And so, I mean, we spent a number of nights doodling like logos and kicking the name around. And at some point you just need to pick it and go. And we did. I'm very pleased with it. So 
that's where we're at right now. As you said, we've got a prototype. We're continuing to refine development and get it out to the app store. Certainly the site's active. And now it's just a matter of community, right? It, we need to take it to the next level. What I would love to see is making connections, not just between caregivers, but how do you connect caregivers with support networks, with the right providers, right? We're agnostic kind of right. any kind of championing, but if we could start to have a health overlay on top of this, have more contributors, because there's also a news feed on mental health, but it's curated. It can't just be anyone can pop any article they want. Right. So starting to make partnerships with industry to provide that content, start to overlay mm -hmm. with healthcare providers, start to overlay with insurers. I think that's when it becomes even more powerful because yeah. it can help form that network, which we didn't have. Yeah. Are there any organizations that you've either partnered with at this point or ones that you're interested in partnering with? Not specifically. We've both been actively engaged in conversations within the community. The school that we mentioned that our son was at, we've leveraged his network as well and bounced the idea. So we've received a tremendous amount of counsel from different individuals, but now it's just getting out. For example, both facilities, I would have loved nothing more than when we're handing our son over for them to say, we get it. We know that you need help as well. Here's yeah. an app. It's called Moth. It's free. You know, it will help you find somebody that's in a similar situation. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's interesting because, you know, obviously your app and Facebook are two completely different things too. But what's interesting about Facebook is the reason it succeeded where a lot of these other ones didn't is that there was that built-in community because it started off on the campus of Harvard, then it extended to other Ivy League schools than to the general public. Is that something you guys have considered? Maybe it's like partnering with the school where they have like an orientation or onboarding. You can say like, hey, you know, you've got this app if you'd like to connect with other caregivers whose kids are going through the same thing. That's a great idea. And I'm sure there's others, right? I mean, yeah. this is the part I'll send you I my know. bill. I'll send you my bill for that million dollars. Please do. <laughs> Yeah, at this point, we're kind of looking for help to tweak it, refine it, make it better. Correct. There's no pride of ownership, right? The call mm -hmm. to action would be, I, we'll take all the help we can get. Because right. similar to our son's journey, we know when we've reached the end of our <laughs> ability. And I strongly believe that this could be tremendously powerful if the appropriate channels were to know it exists and to help support it. So right now, you've got the website. And, you know, obviously both of you have your day jobs. I mean, is it something right. that you're able to devote a lot of time to, or is it kind of going fits and starts? No, it's very much a passion project, Sure, uh, but it's one that we want to see through, right? There's been lots of starts and stops and starts, but keep moving forward. So yes, right now it's kind of a, as I said, a call to action to help others inform the next step of this and what exactly it could be. And like I said, that's why we're having conversations with anyone that will take them. Mm -hmm. So like if somebody's listening right now and this strikes a chord, which I'm sure it will, what kind of people would you like to engage with, you know, to try to, to further the cause? It takes a village, right? I mean, it's not just mental health professionals, it's technologists, it's people in digital therapeutics. It's app development, it's attorneys, it's people in marketing and branding, you sure. know, there's any number of resources that are needed to make this a success. But I think more than anything, it's the network related 
to mental health, right? I mean, that's what I'm trying to figure out is sure. how best to partner with the companies in that space and the people in that space. Yeah. I mean, I would say you might've seen one of our previous interviews was with the head of NAMI Chicago. And I think that NAMI is a great organization because it doesn't just focus on people who have mental health challenges. It also focuses on the caregivers. So that might be another organization that might be worth reaching out to. I'm sure there's others. It's amazing. I think we learn something new every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I said, we did. I, a lot of room improvement. Well, there's a lot of little simple things that, you know, you just don't think of. Yeah. I did want to bring up one point, which is, you know, for mental health issues, typically like the caregiver is the one who gets neglected. It's their mental health that still needs to be attended to. How are you guys day to day sort of keeping it together? I mean, it looks like you're in a good place right now with everything, but like, how are you keeping your head above water with all that you've been through in terms of attending your mental health? I could What's use more diet and exercise, but no, no, I think we're, we're a good team. We've yep. been together for a long time and where I fall apart, he picks up where he falls mm-hmm. apart. I pick up. So we're a sure. good team, which is helpful. And we're, we're on the same page. We might not always feel the same way about things, but we're on the same right. page. So mm-hmm. that's really helpful. But, um, I know I've, I've, we've been to therapy. I've gone to the doctor and I've gotten on medications to help myself out mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. stress. I, I found I couldn't sleep and I was really having a hard time with that. Yeah. But, no, I mean, the team thing, 100%, right? And we're not always going to agree. We don't. And that's fine. But we respect each other's opinions. I think having a good partner is, above all else, critically important. And then the whole notion of you didn't cause it, you can't control it, and you can't cure it. So. Right. As long as you understand those three things, there's power in that, you know, and enjoy your good days and know that there'll be some that aren't. It's kind of a day by day thing, but, you know, for as awful as it is, and certainly, you know, there's not a day that goes by that I hate that our son had to take this journey. Um, Yeah. You start to appreciate what's important. There's a lot of things I think you take for granted, right? And so, this is. for us to kind of prioritize. How is your son doing now? Doing really well. He's, yeah. he's doing really well. He's in college. He's working near full time and, and has a good outlook. So that's great today. <laughs> and mm-hmm. tomorrow will be a new day. But no, thank you for asking. He's, he's yeah. thankfully, thankfully doing very well. Mm-hmm. And is so, he still, in terms of like managing day to day, is he still in therapy or what is sort he, of his day to day regimen to try to? He's know, kind of on and off. He went to a life coach for a while and then he kind of stopped that. And just every now and then he'll say, Hey, I need to talk to a therapist again. And so he just kind of on and off will talk to yeah, a therapist okay. when he feels that he needs to. He's taken ownership of it. Okay. So now okay. he's doing very well. They were tremendously proud of him. Again, I think with everything we did, our hopes were that we would give him the ability to know what to do for himself after we weren't the ones controlling it. He was underage at the time and he was going to become an age where he had to take care of himself. And we wanted to make sure that we gave him all the right tools for him to be able to take care of himself. Is there anything you would like to say to anybody who's going through this and anything you've learned about your journey to give hope to other people? (laughs) I would say, don't be ashamed of it. Speak up, engage others, take ownership of it, listen, and take it day by day. Again, it's manageable, but it's a journey. It's a journey for everybody. 
the individuals, the caregivers. So yeah, take that day by day, but don't hope that tomorrow it'll be better. You're not alone. I mean, everybody's going through something, whether yeah. they want to talk about it or not. We are all going through something and we need to always keep that in mind, the way we treat others, the way we talk to others and how we handle ourselves. I think it's always important to know that someone is going through something and it may be different than what you're going through, but it's still, we're all going through something. Definitely. definitely. Well, thank you both so much. You guys have such an incredible story. You guys are wonderful people, wonderful parents, and I really appreciate you sharing your story and being vulnerable about everything. I think it's really going to make an impact for people who are, like you said, everybody's going through something similar. So really appreciate it. So of course. Again. Appreciate the time. Thank you. I wanted to thank Mike and Teresa Florence for joining us on this week's episode of Untether Your Life. To find out more about their story and Moth, please visit MOTTH.com. Again, that's MOTTH.com. And you can also find the Moth app on the App Store as well as Google Play. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed that episode. For more of these types of conversations, please visit us at untetheryourlife.co. You can also find us on Instagram at untetheryourlife, as well as on Apple, Spotify, and other platforms by searching for Untether Your Life. And if you did enjoy this episode, please leave us a review or share it with someone who might also benefit. Thanks, and until the next time we meet, stay untethered. Stay untethered.